So here now the very word of God as it is given to us in the Gospel of Luke, reading from the 11th chapter, verses 9 through 13. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And may the Lord bless this deceptively powerful um, set of verses to our understanding this morning. Let's ask for that illumination. Our dear Heavenly Father, the, um, these are very familiar verses for us, and quite often when we um, uh, focus on familiar verses, we uh, just sort of kind of think we already know what they mean. But unfortunately, as you know, these verses have been terribly abused. Um, they're being terribly abused now within very many segments of organizations that call themselves churches. And so, Lord, we pray that we will find the truth, that we will stay true to your word, that my words will be your words, the ones that you want me to speak, that we will be faithful to the meaning that you have when you were here sharing this with your disciples. We'll give you the glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Last week I told you very briefly that one of the very foundational pillars of what it means to be reformed is the idea of soli deo gloria. Now, that's just a Latin phrase that came about during the time of the Reformation. It's one of the great solas, the onlys that were the banner of the Reformation, and it basically means to God and God alone goes all the glory. It's an exaltation of God. Now, this is beautifully um, demonstrated in the Westminster Confession of Faith, one of our confessions, Reformed Confessions, and the um, Shorter Catechism, which was actually written for children to learn, memorize in its entirety. But the first question and answer goes like this. What is the chief end of mankind? What, what, why are we here? What's our purpose for existence? And the answer is the chief end of mankind is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's the purpose of existence. Now, that is, that is an ideal, that is an idea that should permeate every aspect of our life, and in particular, our prayers. And that's our focus this morning, and what I'm going to call soli deo gloria prayers. Prayers that bring the focus on the glory of God, the furtherance of his kingdom, and on um, learning how to pray the way that Jesus prayed. Now, as I said in my prayer, these words are among the most misunderstood, mistaught, mispreached, misused words that you're going to have in Scripture. And they've been made to be to mean something entirely different than what Jesus is saying. But, you know, I'm not going to focus on that. The tendency of a, of a conservative preacher like myself is to kind of attack the, the, the error 
And, and I don't want to do that this morning. It's a beautiful statement, revelation that Jesus gives us. So I kind of want to focus on, on that positive so that we can learn and actually implement what is meant by soli deo gloria prayers. Prayers that take first and foremost the consideration of the glory of God. Now, towards that end, let me give you a dynamic because this is a, a, a very relevant question for, for most of us. Jesus is going to give us a command, ask, seek, and knock. And then he's going to make a a promise, an unconditional, unqualified promise. Everyone who asks receives, and everyone who seeks finds, and everyone who knocks, the doors will be opened. Well, I doubt that there's a person here that sometime in your life you have not fervently asked, seeked, and, 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 and knocked, for something that you didn't receive, that God didn't give you. So the dynamic that follows from that, it really, I'm sure there are other options, but I can think of three immediately. Two of them we're going to just throw off the table and leave this the last one that we're going to focus on. The first option is not really an option, is that Jesus just didn't know what he was talking about. Jesus made some promises that he was not able to keep. And, and, and if that is true, then Jesus could not be God. He could not have atoned for our sins. We don't have his righteousness. Christianity is a false religion. The Bible is a farce, and we might as well all go home. So we're not going to deal with that one. That one's off the table, okay? That, that, that one we're not even going to consider. The second one is the one that is most often taught today, and that is that what Jesus is actually telling us to do is to pray in a certain way to pray in a way that God will hear our prayers, kind of on a, on, on a certain f- uh, frequency, with a certain degree of faith, and most importantly, to keep bugging him, pestering him about what you want until he grants your wish. And, and, and so many people think that that's what Jesus is saying when he says, I seek and not. Well, we're going to dispel that too. That's ludicrous. And actually, it is contrary to what Jesus is teaching right here. So we're going to sweep that one off the table too. We're not going to deal with that at all. That leaves the third option. Why does sometimes a a Christian, yourself included, why do you sometimes have the perception that God didn't hear your prayers or didn't listen to them or he's not there, he's not paying attention and it fills you with all kinds of doubt? Well, the reason is that God always hears and answers the prayers of his children. Always. There's never a time that God does not hear him. We'll talk about the parable we talked about last week because that was the the, the overriding lesson of that. <laughs> it just follows, unfortunately, for a lot of us that sometimes the answer's no. Sometimes the answer's not now or not yet. And, and because it's not good for you or, or it's not my timing and we have a hard time dealing with that. So that's the option that we're going to deal with entirely. Because what we are going to see is that prayers, like everything else in our life, should be focused on the glory of God first. And there are certain prayers that God will always answer, and there are certain prayers that he'll never answer because they're prayed for the wrong things. Now, we're about halfway through with this discussion of prayer. We're going to finish it up this morning. But let me go back and and let's kind of establish where we are, especially if you haven't been here over the last couple of weeks. Starting in the first uh, verse of this chapter, Jesus began to give us a model prayer. Now, before we even get there, the subject on the table is sanctification. 
Sanctification, so therefore this is an entire discussion for Christians. It's not for salvation, this is for sanctification, the, 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 the growth of the redeemed. And, and, and sanctification through the means of grace. We've already had one image of the means of grace, which is Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus, absorbing everything that he says. That's the first, one of the greatest means of grace. It's the study of the word of God to fill yourself, to assimilate it, to inundate yourself, to memorize it, to meditate on it, to read it, to hear it exposited. That's a, that's a means of grace, a way that you grow. Well, the second one is prayer, and that's where we are. And the image that we have of prayer is Jesus, who went up to a mountain sometimes and prayed all night long to his Father. And, and, and that's one of the means of grace. Another means of grace we're going to enjoy in just a few minutes in the taking of the Lord's Supper. But, but nonetheless, when we talk about um, the, the, the idea of sanctification, it brought the idea of the glory of God into, into view. So why are we involved with sanctification? Oh, why does God want us to be more like Christ? Well, it's all for his glory. And that's what we're going to see about these prayers as well. Now, here's what happened. A disciple asked Jesus to teach him, and probably everybody else there, how to pray in a way that would identify him as a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's what they did in those days. That's why he mentions John the Baptist. And so Jesus responds with a 38-word prayer. 38 words in the Greek, that's all. We've talked about that. And, and, and we're going to go through that prayer, but the, it, it sort of unleashed a prayer language that, that each one of these words brought in a, 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 a massive association. And you're going to get that prayer language not only by your redeemed soul that just needs to have it unleashed, but also from Scripture. This is where you learn the language of prayer. This is where you learn how to articulate it. So it goes right back to the idea of sanctification. But in that 38-word prayer, Jesus gave us, first of all, an address, an address that was the most privileged of all addresses, that we have the right, because of the adoption as of sons and daughters through the cross work of Jesus Christ, to refer to the creator God of the universe as Abba Father. What an extraordinary way to begin the prayer that is. This is an intimate relationship with God. And then he starts on the petitions, the first petition is that hallowed be your name. Holy, sacred, sec, uh, a, a sacred uh, a type of sanctified um, name uh, for God, his totality. Now, that's the, the, the main focus. Now, of course, it's not God needing to be sanctified because he's already perfect in his holiness. It is that he would be glorified in us, that he would be holy in us, that we would understand and revere and honor his holiness that we would bring glory to him. The second one is very similar to it. Your kingdom come, thy kingdom come. That his kingdom, perfect, where everyone actually listens to what he says, would be manifest first in my heart, but then in the world around me. And only after we have prayed for the glory of God and the furtherance of his kingdom do then we then pray for ourselves. But even that prayer, as we will see again this morning, was a prayer that brought glory to God because it showed that we depended on him. We trusted in him. We knew we needed him. And that's going to be the foundation of this asking, seeking, and knocking. So even in the things that we need for daily life, God was glorified. And of course, he is glorified when we start talking about forgiveness of sins. That's when our heart just begins to sing. 
Especially when we take a, a communion like this, we think of the one who won that for us, that makes it possible for us to be forgiven because our sins are paid for. And, and our heart just sings out because of that. And of course, if we've been forgiven for such egregious sins, we ask for the grace that God would allow us to forgive those around us. And then finally, that in his sovereignty and in his power, that he would protect us from the evil again. Once again, that brings glory to God. So the entire prayer, the focus of the prayer is the glory of God, the furtherance of his kingdom and learning how to pray in the way that Jesus prays. So you want to pray like Jesus. That, that's your focus. <laughs> the, the, the glory of God, the furtherance of his kingdom, the glory of his redemption and through Jesus Christ, his power over evil. And then finally, that he would provide you with what you need on a daily basis, which he is happy to do. And then last week, we looked at a parable. Now, I want you to remember something, that every single word that we are studying last week, this week, is based on that prayer, those 38 words. This is a commentary on those 38 words. Sometimes we don't see it that way. But nonetheless, Jesus told a parable about a man who unfortunately had a friend stop by in the middle of the night, and he had nothing to give him. And of course, in Palestinian social etiquette, that was a major faux pas, a big problem, not to have any food to set before a friend, no matter when he showed up. And so his honor is at stake. So the, the, the lesser of two evils is to go next door and ask his neighbor, his friend, if his neighbor would give him some bread so that he can fulfill his requirements as, as a host. Well, that's when the, the entire focus shifted from the man asking for the bread for the, to the man who would give the bread because Jesus phrased that parable in, in, in a, a ludicrous, absurd uh, almost hyperbolic, almost comedic uh, type of, of focus. When he starts out and saying, who among you would have a friend like this? Can you imagine that you would go next door, that you would have this honor problem, that you would ask him for bread and he would make a silly, ridiculous excuse like, my children are in bed with me. You know, I've closed the door. I can't get up and give you anything. Now, the point of the parable was this, even though it does talk about persistence and, and, and the need for the man to ask for what he needed, but the focus is on the man in bed because that represents the one we pray to and the one we pray to is God. And so the whole focus of that parable is that that will never happen ever. God will never tell you, hey, don't bug me, you know? You don't need to pester God for the things that you need if he says, no, this is not good for you. You can ask him until you're blue in the face and it's not going to change his mind. God is a good God and he loves you and he wants to bring you good things. And so we trust him to bring us those good things, which leads us to this passage that we have before us. And as I said, brothers and sisters, these are some of the most abused words, especially today where you have all kinds of people out there saying, all you have to do is name and claim it. All you have to do is have a word of faith. You make a proclamation and you put it out there and God has to observe it. Can you imagine Jesus doing that? I mean, the whole focus here is, is so we can pray like Jesus. Can you imagine Jesus putting his father on the spot like that? Saying, I name and claim it. You got to give it to me now. Okay. I, I ask in faith and, and, and I'm not going to pray for your glory. I'm not praying for your kingdom. I'm praying for my own needs. Did Jesus ever have anything? 
that he named and claimed or prosperity that he asked for. So it, it, it's terribly abused. So I want to get down to the basis of it. I want to see exactly what it is that um, that Jesus is is saying here. So we're going to take a look at the verses 9 and 10 in particular are the two verses that are so misused. And we're going to take a look at them and we're going to take each one of those words and the promises. And I'm going to try to put them into perspective. Now, one thing I should say about the language here, I'm not going to go too much into the grammar, but all three of these, ask, seek, and knock, they're all three verbs. They're all three in the imperative, which means that they're not just suggestions, they're commands. Jesus is telling us to do this. It would have been wrong if the man with the unexpected guest did not ask his neighbor for food. That would have, that would have been uh, a breach of social etiquette. So that, that, would, that would not have accomplished hospitality. So it's wrong not to ask. And so Jesus gives us a command, ask and seek and knock. And all three of those verbs are also in the present tense, active indicative, if that means anything to you. Present tense, that means he's not saying, hey, just go ask one time. Keep on asking constantly. This is not a one-time thing. This is every day. This is every time you go to the Lord in prayer. Ask and seek and knock, and we're going to see that each time you do is for his glory and not for our glory. So let's take a look at these words. First word is ask. Now, the word ask just immediately is kind of the baseline of, of everything that we're going to be talking about. The, the other two words kind of spring off of the asking. And we ask for things that we need. We don't usually ask for things that we don't need. So the idea of asking brings with it the idea that there is a need that needs to be fulfilled. Now, brothers and sisters, let me repeat this because this could not be more important. Typically, when we when we talk about ask, seek, and knock, we begin to think about the things that we ask for for ourselves or for those around us. I ask for good health. I ask for a good job. I ask for my daily bread. But this is a commentary on the 38-word prayer that Jesus just gave. And a very small part of that prayer is asking for your physical needs. The bulk of it is to ask for the honor and the glory of God, to ask that his kingdom would come, to ask that you would be forgiven and confess your sins, to ask that he would protect you from the evil one. All of those are included in this asking that we are going to see. So it's not just asking for the things that we need. It's not just asking for stuff. But I don't know if you remember last week, we were talking about the idea of the man, the host with the unexpected guest, why it was important that he asked his friend because honor was at stake. But I also said that there are other things involved with asking God for the things that we need than just getting or not getting them. Because the very idea, the very fact that you ask God it establishes that you recognize your dependence on God, that he's the provider of all good things. 
And if God is the one who provides, then there is an immediate thanksgiving that comes from the asking. You ask for something you need because you can't fulfill it yourself. God fulfills that need. The natural response is thanksgiving. And if you are thankful for things that God gives you, then that builds your trust. In other words, this is a sanctifying process in and of itself because you begin to believe and understand that God actually listens to and answers your prayers. Now, sometimes this isn't as easy as it's said. You know, sometimes we need to take it out of the theoretical and make it, uh, you know, more real to us. And so a lot of you work still, you know, so you get up every morning, you go to work, you work hard, you sweat at, at that work, you give yourself to it. And at the end of the week, what do you get? You, you get a paycheck. Your paycheck is wages for the work that you've done. You take that paycheck and you go put it in the bank, right? Well, most people do. And then later on, you go to the grocery store. And when you go up to the counter, you pay with the money that is in your bank that came from your paycheck that was the result of your work. And then you go home with that food and you prepare it, you put it on the table, and finally, after all that, you sit down and you eat your daily bread. How easy it is to eliminate God from that process. How easy it is to say, hey, look, I'm, I'm the one that provided for my daily bread. You know, you know who, who am I supposed to thank for this? I, I'm the one who worked for it. Well, how come you have a job? How come you live in this country? How come you're able to work? How come you are able to, to be in an environment where you can even enjoy the food that you have? I mean, what, uh, where, where does everything that is good come from? Everything that is good comes from God. And so no matter whether you work for it or not, well, that'll get to, when we get to seeking, we're going to see that there's a, that's part of it. But whether you work for it or not does not mean that it's yours. Because everything that you have, everything that you were granted, everything that you work for and are able to compile, that is all to the glory of God and thankfulness to him. And so you trust. I mean, just look at Jesus. I mean, Jesus is such a great example. Okay, did did Jesus have stuff that he carried around with him? I mean, how did he know he was going to eat tomorrow? What, 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 what was his, where was his focus? Where was his dependence? It was entirely on his father. He knew that his father would provide for him. And so therefore, when his father provided, who did he thank? He thanked his father. And what did that do? It builds trust. It's a sanctifying process. So therefore, we, we, we need to recognize that just the asking is a hugely significant part that um, that um, we are called to to start with that. Now, the promise that goes with this is a pretty amazing one. Jesus says, ask and you will receive. Not that you might receive. Ask and you will receive. He even gets more emphatic in the next verse when he says, everyone who asks receives. Now, it should go without saying, but I will articulate it anyway, that when Jesus says everyone here in the midst of a discussion of sanctification of his disciples, he's not talking about every human being on the planet. He's not talking about the prayers of unbelievers, a prayer that would start off like something. And I cringe every time I see this on the shows. God, I don't know if you're up there and I'm not a praying man, but if I have a soul, would you please save it for me? 
You know, I mean, that's, that's the prayer of an unbeliever, and God doesn't hear those prayers. There's one prayer that God hears of an unbeliever, and that's the prayer of repentance. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And I'd like to accept your son, Jesus Christ, in payment for those sins. But God listens to our prayers, even within the redeemed concept, though. Even though that we have a sanctified soul, there are still times that we ask God and we would question about whether or not that was true. Wait a minute. I asked God for this. I did not receive it. Well, actually, yes, you did. You didn't receive what you asked for because you asked for the wrong things. And you asked for it out of time. But you did receive an answer. No is just as powerful and just as definitive of an answer as yes. Now, sometimes it's yes. Sometimes it's no. Sometimes it's not now. Okay? It's not yet. It's not in my timing. doesn't mean that God does not love to give you good gifts. He, like like so many of you, is a good parent. He knows what is good, and he's only going to give good things. Uh, and he's only going to give it in his uh, time span. So that's the first one, um, asking. Now, the second one is the idea of seeking. Now, seeking, in a sense, is asking in action. Okay? I mean... Asking or praying can be an entirely passive situation. I mean, you, you can just simply say, God, would you provide these things for me? You're laying in bed. You're waking up first thing in the morning. You're praying to God. There's no action. There's, there, there's no uh, effort at all on your part. So when Jesus says seek, well, seeking is an action. And it is actually the action of asking. Now, it opens up a, 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 a big theological issue. I don't, do not have time to go into it this morning, but I, I've told you many times that there are two parallel teachings that Scripture teaches, and sometimes I say it's like the rails upon which the train of faith runs, but they never cross. They don't cross in this world, and they do not cross in eternity. They are two parallel teachings. One is that God is absolutely sovereign, and it is his eternal creed that will always come about. And two, it is that you are responsible. You are culpable for your actions. You will stand before a holy God and you will make amends for your actions. Those are two parallels. One does not cross the other out. One does not uh, change the other. The two parallel teachings, a lot of people have trouble with that. They actually do not conflict with each other. But when you apply them to this situation, you need to be careful. Okay, you you need to, I mean, it's like so often there's a ditch on the left and a ditch on the right. You can fall in either ditch. And and, and the ditch on the left is that you get, you you think this is a license for laziness, right? Okay, okay. God's going to answer my prayers. He's already told me he knows what I need before I ask him. So, I mean, I'm just going to kind of, why do I need to pray? Why, Why do I need to have any effort? Why do I need to learn? Why do I need to do anything? If God is sovereign, I'm just going to sit here and wait for Jesus to come back. Well, that's the ditch on the left. The ditch on the right, we've already kind of talked about. It's when you try to, try to take matters into your own hands and you, and, and, and you say that, you know, I'm going to seek, okay, God, step aside and just let me show you what I'm going to do, right? I actually said those words when I was younger. And he showed me 
20 years of alcoholism. He shows me what you're capable of doing. Nobody wants to make that statement, okay? Um, but nonetheless, that's what we, that's the ditch on the right is to say, okay, out of the sovereignty of God, you're, 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 you're sovereign, but I have my responsibility that I'm going to take this prayer in hand. That, neither one of those works. Neither one of those work. Let me explain what, when we talk about seeking in this context, remember that Jesus is commenting on the 38-word prayer that he just gave us. And in that 38-word prayer, it is the glory of God. It is knowing him as Father. It is the forgiveness of sins, the coming of the kingdom, the protection from the evil one, and the daily needs that we need. All of those are wrapped up in the idea of seeking. So you, you ask God, you say, God, I want to know you more. I want a closer relationship with you. I, I, I want my sanctification to sort of speed up a little bit. I, I, I really want to come and walk closer just like Jesus. And, and, here, and here's what I'm going to do. Because of that, I'm going to put my hand on this book and I'm going to absorb all of the wisdom that is there, you know, just through osmosis. Do you know there are people who actually do that? I'm, and I'm not joking. There are people who actually take their finger. They can't re- read a word of Hebrew. I've got one of their Bibles in there. And they run along the text with their finger. And that is going to fill them with holiness and righteousness and knowledge. Okay? No effort on my part. No study. No turning to the Word of God. No memorization. No meditation. No listening to the exposition of the Word. I don't do anything, and yet I still expect God to fill me with His righteousness and understanding. That's not seeking, folks. That's not seeking. Seeking is action. It's your asking in action. So when Jesus says, seek and you will find... First of all, he's talking about the things that he just mentioned. Seek a closer relationship with your father and you will find it. Did you know that something like 17 times in the Old Testament, God says that? If you seek with your whole heart, here's what he says in Jeremiah. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. 17 times, I think, God says that in the Old Testament over and over again. Just seek for me. Now, of course, that that's not, you know, sometimes that's abused and taken into what we call seeker-sensitive worship, which is those who don't seek God at all and trying to make the worship service after them. That's a different subject. But for those who are truly looking for God, have redeemed hearts, want to know Him better, God will always answer that prayer. If you're seeking through the means of grace and the revelation that he has given you. So um, there, there, there is a, a seeking. And, and in fact, Paul even said it to the, um, uh, to the Athenians. I don't know if you, if you remember that from Acts. When he made that great statement in him, we live and move and have our being. He said just before that, that mankind should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. To seek God, brothers and sisters, is to seek his holiness, his glory, his kingdom. If you are seeking for these things, I can tell you on the authority of Scripture that you will find them. That, that, that is completely and totally answered. If you are seeking for the wrong things, if you are seeking for the things of this world, if you are seeking for wealth and health and prosperity and fame and all the different things that the, those in this world covet and seek after, chances are God is not going to give them to you because he's a good God 
and he knows that he gives you things that are bad for you, it's going to work against you. So we seek for the right things, and seeking is an action. And finally, we come to the third one, which is knock. Now, here's precisely where the problem occurs on the parable I told you last week. Because this word does mean perseverance. It it does mean to be persistent. And in fact, if you want to look at knocking in the context of what I've already told you, that knocking is asking with action and perseverance. It's the persistent asking with action. Again, it doesn't mean that I'm just going to sit around and ask God for the things that I want. It is asking for the things that he wants, and it is to do so with perseverance. Now, unfortunately, what a lot of people think that this means is that what what we're supposed to do is pester God. Right, and that's the way that so many people are are are, are understand this. It is to it is to it, it's the idea of a reluctant God who doesn't want to give us good things. Well, we've already seen in the parable that that's not true. In fact, God delights when you ask Him. He delights when you seek Him. He is more than anxious and willing to give you every good thing, as long as it is in his will, along it is according to his plan, and as long as it is in his time frame. God loves to give you things. You don't have to worry about whether or not God likes to give you things. That's what the parable was all about. And that's what the illustration that is getting ready to come is also all about. God loves to give you good things, and he is not going to withhold anything from you. Now, what does he mean then? when he says that the one who knocks, the door will be open to them. Well, let me see if I can put it this way, and I, th- I know you've all been there. You ask for something. You really need it. It, it. It's not just a casual ask. It's something that's desperate, like a, a sick loved one that you that you want God to help you with. So you ask him for it and you do your due diligence. You, you know, you're, you're not just sitting there. You're, you're doing everything that you can do accordingly. You're seeking after his solution. You're seeking after the kingdom. And the world, when that doesn't happen, when there's no positive answer, when the loved one stays sick or whatever it is, the world screams, hey, I told you that you were just wasting your time. I told you that that was a pie in the sky. I told you that God is not going to answer your prayers. It's time that you get your head out of the clouds and get down to earth and start working towards the end that you need to work towards. That's what's going to bring you results. Praying to God is not going to bring you results in that way. So if we are persistent in our prayers, what it means is that even when it seems like he's not listening to us, and I know we've all been there, You've all been in a place where you pray fervently and you pray repetitively and you think that God is simply not listening to you or else he's busy someplace else or or he's maliciously withholding something that you desperately need. But you see, knocking means that instead of going to the world solution, instead of getting angry at God, instead of getting disillusioned in him, you continue to come back to his altar and his solution again and again and again. That's what knocking is. It is not pestering him until he gives you something that's bad for you. What it is, is to never change your focus away from him. 
to never seek the world's solution for the problems that you have, to only turn to him and continue to ask, continue to seek, and continue to knock, and to to qualify everything you say with not my will, but your will be done. Okay, so that's the those those are the basics. Now let's kind of step out and 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 let me just kind of give you a, a sort of a summary of 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 all of this. Um, that it's a a, a principle. Um, basically, um, going back to the original dynamic that I said in the beginning that there's three explanations of why we God doesn't answer our prayers. Um, the, what we have just learned in this asking, seeking, and knocking is that the main reason that God doesn't answer our prayers is because we're asking for the wrong things or we're asking poorly. In fact, I love the way James, James was just such a, a great, uh, um, he, he sort of brought together the words of his half-brother Jesus and, and, and he gave them to us. He, he understands this dynamic that we're talking about. Once again, we're walking down a narrow road with a ditch on the left and a ditch on the right because sometimes we feel that we don't need to ask for the things because we're going to take care of them ourselves or for whatever reasons. And in that ditch, James puts it this way. He says, you do not have because you do not ask. Quite frankly, you don't, you don't have because you don't ask. At least you're not asking the right person. You're not asking the right way. But then the ditch on the other side is it matters what you're asking for. It matters what you're seeking for, and it matters what you're knocking on God's door for. And James, who has never seemed to be at a loss for words, puts it this way. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of God, I'm sorry, therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Brothers and sisters, you know how often we are asking God for things that are at at odds with him? are at enmity with them, that we are asking, we get mad at him because he doesn't give it to us. And that's exactly the point of the illustration that follows. Look now at the 11th verse. What father among you, let's just stop it right there, okay? Remember how he started the parable? Who of you? Which of you? Who among you? Suppose that one of you, he started it out that way and it was a question. And the reason that he put it in that phrase is so that it would be an incredulous, completely hyperbolic kind of a, of a question that would never happen. Well, exactly the same thing he's doing here. Okay, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Now, that's basically pretty straightforward, isn't it? That's talking about our needs, uh, a father, unless he's a monster. Um, and there are monsters out there. There are fathers who maliciously want to harm their children. But a decent farmer, uh, I mean, father, and this doesn't just have to be a Christian father. I mean, this, this is a common grace uh, that, that, that instinctively know what is good for their children. What father who is not a monster is going to have his child ask him for fish? Now, we assume he wants it to eat. And I give you a serpent that can bite you and kill you. 
or, or an egg, something again that you would want for your sustenance. And instead of an egg, I give you a scorpion with a stinger that can either bring intense pain or actually also kill you as the viper can. That, 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 that would never, ever, ever happen. And so therefore, even in a fallen, wretched father, we know how to give good things to our children. That's where that premise is, is, is about to go. But there's, there's another aspect of this that I want you to see. It also means that if the child asks for a fish, and the only fish that you have in the house is puffer fish, which I don't know if you know that. It's the most poisonous fish in the world. And, and, and you say, well, yes, for a fish, I'm going to give him a fish. Well, no. Once again, you know as a parent what your child needs. And, and no matter what they ask for, you're not going to give them something, even if they ask for it, that is, is going to harm them just the same way. Your child may have a, a, a terrible reaction to eggs. Our daughter has a, that kind of reaction to eggs. And if she asked me for an egg, I'd say, sorry, I'm not going to give it to you because I've seen what happens to you when you eat an egg. So there's a nuance here. There's kind of two different ways to look at this. First of all, if you ask the Lord for something, if you ask him for bread, he's not going to give you a stone. If you ask for fish, he's not going to give you a serpent. But by the same token, if you ask for something and what you want is within his realm of being able to grant and it is something that is not good for you, then he's not going to give it to you, folks. He's never going to give it to you. Let me me give you an example. Imagine that you have a seven or eight-year-old son, and he goes to school every day and sits at the same table with the same kids. And they all have their little lunchboxes, and they all take their lunchboxes out, and every single kid on the table has a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And they all take their peanut butter and jelly sandwiches out. They all talk about what kind of jelly or jam that they have and whether it's crunchy or smooth uh, peanut butter. And this poor kid never has a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. So every single day he goes home and he asks his mother, Mom, can I please have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? Well, now what this child does not know is that he has a deathly allergy to peanuts. And you know that some children have that kind of an allergy. Boy, you get around peanuts, you eat a peanut, you're in trouble. Okay. So every day the child asks for peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Every day he goes to his table and he opens up his little lunchbox and every other kid at the table has got a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and oh my goodness, it's baloney again. No peanut butter and jelly sandwich for me. Well, obviously the mother is not giving the child something that they're asking for, that they're seeking diligently, that they're knocking consistently, and the reason he's not giving it is because it's bad for him. And so the parent knows what is good and what is bad. Parent also knows that sometimes it's not the right time to give your child a gift. A lot of you are, you know, you're good shoppers. I'm not. But there's a lot of people who are good shoppers. And in July, I mean, you've got this Christmas in July card making thing that's coming up. Some people are already thinking six months in advance to Christmas, right? So you go out and you buy yourself on Prime Day, you know, so you get something and you put it in the top shelf and your little one knows it's there. She, so he says, Mom, I want my gift. And you say, no, it's for Christmas. No, I want my gift and I want it right this minute. Well, if I give you your gift now, you're not going to have anything for Christmas. So I know what's best for you. I know you want it now, but wisdom says that you wait a while so that you can open it on Christmas. Now, 
The whole premise that is about to follow takes those kinds of considerations in mind. Because if we can make those kinds of judgments to not give our children things that are going to hurt them, then just imagine how our Heavenly Father knows what is good for us and what is not. And that is what we get in the 13th verse, which takes us to a premise. Sort of the underlying premise of the illustration, but also really an underlying premise of the whole discussion of prayer. He says, if you then who are evil, stop there. I, I, I wish I, I, I had, this is one of those times I wish I had the after church because I'd like to delve into that. Notice the matter of fact way that Jesus makes that statement. You who are evil. I mean, there's no question. There's no conversation about that. He's not talking to the pagans. He's not talking to the Romans or to the Greeks or to the Syrians. He's not talking to the Pharisees or the Sadducees. He is talking to his disciples, telling them how to pray like him. And without even a question, he says, you who are evil. The word he uses is the same word used of evil spirits. In fact, it's the same word used of the evil one that we pray about every time we say the Lord's Prayer. It talks about the devil. This is satanic. Jesus says, you who, without even a question, you who are totally and completely depraved, you who are totally and completely satanic in your nature, if you're able to give good gifts, you, 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 you see, the world today wants you to believe that we're all good people getting better. Jesus, without questioning, says, no, I'm sorry, you are evil. Now, he's going to use it as an example, but the example is, without a question, we know that there is a, um, a, a total depravity that Jesus sees right off the bat. So he goes on and says, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, Jesus is using a very typical Hebrew um, um, argument here. And, and it's an argument for the lesser, from the lesser to the greater. They'll, they'll prove the lesser and then through that kick it up in, infinitely to, to the greater. Started out with two friends and the need for bread and one friend should go to the another one and the another one should not be able to, uh, to reject him. Then we took it from that to a son and a father and more intimate relationship, the same situation, a little bit higher and now he makes the jump to infinity because he compares an earthly father to the heavenly father. If you are capable of not giving your child who has a deathly allergy to peanuts, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, then maybe you can trust that if God who loves to give good gifts, who desires to give good things, doesn't give you something that you ask for, no matter how diligently you ask for it, maybe just maybe you can trust him enough to know that he knows what he's doing. And that he knows that if he was to give you what you ask for, it either would not be according to his will and not would not be according to his plan. It would be something that would harm you or it would be something that we're just not ready yet to have brought. Now, you may have noticed that when I kind of ended that last statement, I didn't say what Luke said. I, I sort of reverted back to the way this verse is given to us in Matthew um, when Jesus says it at the Sermon on the Mount. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give you 
good things to those who ask. That's not what Luke says. Notice what Luke says. How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Do you realize what that is saying? That just kicks this entire thing way up because you ask for a stone and what is God going to give you? Himself. What is the greatest gift that God can give you? Himself. He has given you the ability to have relationship with Him. Not only has He chosen you from all eternity past to be His and called you out of darkness, He sent His Son to die on a cross with your sins upon Him so that you could be in His presence adopted as a son or daughter of Him. Wrapped in His righteousness so that that right, that sinfulness will not separate you from Him, but that you can have relationship with Him. God gives you Himself, which is the greatest gift that He can give you. And that's how all these things are possible. I love the way that John MacArthur puts this. I, I don't do this very often, but sometimes you just run across somebody who says what you want to say, but just says it a lot better than you know you can say it. So let me read what he says about this. Um, he says, to those who ask for a gift, he gives the giver. To those who ask for an effect, he gives the cause. To those who ask for a product, he gives the source. To those seeking comfort, he gives the comforter. To those seeking power, he gives the source of all power. To those seeking help, he gives the helper. To those seeking truth, he gives the spirit of truth. To those seeking love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness, the fruits of the spirit, he gives the producer of all those things. The indwelling Holy Spirit is the source of every good thing in a Christian's life. And brothers and sisters, your Lord is waiting right now to answer that prayer. I, and I'm not talking about filling you, letting you, you know, whack people on the head and heal them. I'm not talking about any of the things like that. But what he is there ready to do is to, is to manifest his spirit to you so that you can grow in him. Your seeking part is to turn to the word and seek him out there. The knocking is that that is the solution to every single question that you have. Now, I had a very nice application written this morning. Actually, it was a little bit technical and a little bit long, but, you know, I wasn't concerned about that. But now I was going to go back through the prayer, and I was going to take each one of the aspects of the prayer and apply, ask, seek, and knock to each and every one of them, you know. But then something happened this week that um, sort of changed my mind, and I wanted to share it with you. I haven't shared it really with anyone yet. Um, that is, I think, a tremendous example of a soli deo gloria prayer and the answer to a soli deo gloria prayer and who gets the glory for that. Most of you know that we're trying desperately to expand our school. We have more students than we can possibly handle. We're actually now sending them away. We can't take care of all the students that want to go to school here. And we've been fighting the city now for about three years um, for, for not, not just the three buildings we want to build, but even this little sixplex that is out here. And about two years ago, um, the city did something that some people thought was impossible. 
they hit us with some requirements in order to even open that sixplex that would cost without going into great detail somewhere in the neighborhood of a half a million dollars. Where are we going to come up with a half a million dollars? Okay, so it's time to stop, throw in the towel, and, 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 and not uh, uh, deal that because we can't do it. So we, we asked around some of the counselors that knew a lot about finances, and pretty much the universal response was what you need to do is the way you raise money in this world is you go out and get yourself a board of directors who have a lot of money, who have a heart for Christian schools. And you bring them in, give them the power over the school, and they bring their money in, and there you are, and you can get started. We knew that wasn't right. We knew that this is a Christian school under the auspices of a Christian church, and a God places elders to be the guides and the leaders within that church. So we knew that that wasn't the way that we were supposed to go at it. So we decided that we would focus on Soli Deo Gloria prayers, that we would ask the Lord that he would provide and that we would say, Lord, if it's not your will, if this is not, if this is your church and this is your school, but if this is not your will, then it won't be done. But we're not going to go out and start beating the bushes for money from secular places so that we can build a school to your glory. If we do anything, it is going to be to your glory. Okay? So that's been about three years. Okay? And the world screams and they say, stupid people, look what you've done. It's just simply not going to work when you do it that way because there's a way that the world works and that's not the way that it does. So therefore, you, don't, you still don't have a building and you're not moving any closer at all. So in the process, we run into a time, um, I promise there is an end to this. It takes a little bit of, of background. But in the process, we run into the pandemic and everything closes down, except we never did. We never closed our school. We never closed our daycare. We were considered at that time to be mission critical. And so we kept our staff on. And during the entire pandemic, we switched seamlessly over to online lessons for our kids. We never turned any child away and we never sent any teacher home and didn't lay anyone off. Now, that was difficult. And people said, you're crazy for doing that because, you know, you don't have to. You can follow suit with other people and 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 and, and you can make it through this. If you keep paying your employees, you're not going to make it through this. Well, lo and behold, after um, all was said and done, the government decided that that was a good thing and that those who kept their um, employees on should be rewarded through what they called the employment retention credit. Um, through our seeking, through our diligence, and I say our, the royal we, this is really Miss Brandy, um, Brandy Andrews, who did all of the, the diligence, but we applied for it, and just to make a long story short, Miss Avila has made a deposit in our checking account this week for $447,000. With another 100000 on the way. And after we pay the people who did the work, which was an accounting firm, we have every single penny that we need to do the work to be able to move forward. Now let me ask you a question. Who are you clapping for? God gets the glory. That is a soli deo gloria prayer. Amen.
Okay, that's what I mean. That's the whole focus. Is we pray prayers that we cannot do. We cannot fix things. We cannot make it happen. Only God can make it happen. And you know something? If it's going to happen, He's going to make it happen. And if He doesn't make it happen, it shouldn't happen in the first place. Brothers and sisters, sometimes we go through the valley of the shadow of death and it's hard. And we fear things. But I can tell you something that is just upside down. Christianity is the most upside down religion that there is. It's the only really upside down religion. And if you are going through the valley of the shadow of death and you are suffering and you are going through pain, there is no better place on earth for you to be than right where you are. Because your God loves you and your God hears your prayers and he would not have you go through one single pain or suffering if it wasn't for his glory in some way, in some way, form or fashion. It would be for his glory. So therefore, brothers and sisters, not just our prayers, not just our lives, it's everything that we do. May it be done for the glory of God. When we ask, may it be for the glory of God. When we seek, may it be for the glory of God. When we knock, may it be for the glory of God. And may our days from this point on be filled with solely day of glory prayers. Amen. Let's pray. Our dear Lord, um, we recognize that you are sovereign, that you are great, that you are loving, that you are kind, that you are infinitely good and you want what's good for us. And you know something you could have just as easily said no and, and not provided. And, and there would have been a lot of naysayers that would have said, look, I told you so. But then they said that about you when you hung on the cross. Look, where is this God now? So they've been saying that since you were here. And Lord, we, we, we know that it, it's, it, that's where trust comes in. That, that's what you want out of us is a continue, a continued trust in your goodness, your wisdom, and the fact that you would give us all good things, but you're not going to give us things that harm us. You're not going to give us things that are not according to your will. So, dear Lord, now as we turn our attention towards the taking of communion, another means of grace, we know that you are here and we simply glorify you. May you be glorified in each one who takes these elements. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.